We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. All right, thanks for tuning in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and I am back for another interview episode. In the past, we've had Hornets uh, from all different types of eras. We've got to talk to Kenny Gaddison from the early days, uh, Eddie Robinson from the late 90s, early 2000s. We've even had an interview with current Hornets big, PJ Washington, but we've never Never had a Charlotte Bobcat until now, so I'm excited to talk to our next guest, former Charlotte Bobcats point guard and current Memphis Grizzly color commentator, Brevin Knight. Brevin, thanks for joining. How's it going? Oh, going well. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm glad, let's see, I was on the inaugural Bobcats team, and now I'll be the inaugural Bobcat interview. So I'm I'm, I'm batting a thousand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I appreciate your time. And before we get too deep into this, I need to know an honest answer here with this one question. And I'm not sure if it's something that you guys talked about as players, but what were your thoughts on naming the team the Bobcats after the owner, Bob Johnson? Was that ever something that got brought up among players? <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I don't think any of us uh, talked about it. The biggest talk for us at that time, honestly, was, what the hell was that logo? Uh, it, 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 that, that was at that time we didn't know if it was the cat running away, was the cat streaking down the court. Uh, that I think that more than anything, uh, what was it? Yeah, yeah, the, the logo was not great too. There's there's a couple teams <laughs> in the NBA that I feel like need a rebrand. OKC kind of has a weird logo. I'm just like, what 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 yes. is that? But. Um, <laughs> I think I think you know winning cures a lot of things, and I think when you have an expansion team that struggles to win, and then you got the logo on top of it, it, it makes it hard to kind of get into it. And I think the Bobcat era in Charlotte seems to be a, a forgotten time uh, more than anything. I think reliving it with someone like you is the best way to go about this. And I think people in Charlotte had some mixed emotions with that expansion team because of how the previous ownership had left. But as a player. Yes. 
what were your feelings and emotions like experiencing an expansion team? Because not many players can say that they've played, you know, in year one of an expansion team. Well, it was, uh, unfortunately, it was my second year one uh, of an expansion team because I started the Memphis Grizzlies when they moved from Vancouver to Memphis. Uh, I was the first their inaugural season. I was there and then to do it with Charlotte. And, and just to contrast the two, uh, coming to Memphis, it was uh, because it was a team moving from somewhere and it was a brand new situation in Memphis. It was a lot of hoopla. It was fanfare and people were excited. Still had to compete with the university, with Memphis State at that time because that's what everyone knew. And that's that was the big time basketball sell. Um and but but it was still a love of basketball for the Grizzlies. Starting the Bobcats, there was a uh I would say there was a, a, a two dynamics working. There were people that were excited to have basketball, but there were a large number of people who had wanted nothing to do with NBA basketball. Uh and a lot of that had to do with, as you said, the previous ownership and the Hornets leaving and what had to happen. Um but so you would get some people who were happy. We would go out and do community service. One, one quick example. We're doing, we're at grocery store. I think, uh, what do we have? Harris Teeter is in yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. We're at Harris Teeter. And we're doing, we're bagging, we're just kind of bagging groceries. And we had a customer say, I don't want you to bag my stuff because I don't support anything with the NBA. And I was like, I mean, you might not support the NBA. We just put stuff in bags. <laughs> it's not, it's not, but that just to show you how strong of a feeling you have from someone on that end but someone on the other end that was just excited to say, "Oh, basketball was back again." So it was, uh, it was a, it was a funny dynamic. But everyone within the organization understood how big of a task it was in front of them. And yes, playing and one to win games was big, but really just trying to get basketball and the enthusiasm around NBA basketball was a bigger uh, goal than just the wins. Yeah, yeah, I can see how that was a challenge uh, to kind of get the people back in Charlotte to love basketball again on the NBA level. And I, I think, you know, expectations as an expansion team are just a little bit different than, you know, an established team. And, you know, it's your job as a player to go out there and compete, do your job. And having been in the playoffs before, and I think you guys were coming off a playoff appearance with the Bucks in the season prior, how right. frustrating was it to be on an 18-win team? Uh, for me, it wasn't frustrating because it was the first time I got an opportunity since my rookie year to kind of play like myself it was just to, to go and be brevin, and create plays for other ones, take mid range, jump shot, get steals. But it was, I hadn't had freedom to play in the NBA until that point. So selfishly basketball wise, I just was so enthusi enthused to be number one playing because I was almost out of the league at that point. So that was that was a, a, a joy, but then to just the style to play for Bernie Bickerstaff at that time was a, a, a godsend for me personally and for my career. And so uh, I, I didn't look at it as hard coming from Milwaukee, where because I only was in Milwaukee for maybe two months, uh, playing in played the end of the year, played the playoffs. So it's still there was no real big connection to them. But coming to Charlotte and, and, and having an opportunity to play was bigger to, to me than being on a playoff team and being a contributor. Because you were signed with the Bobcats. You weren't necessarily part of the expansion draft, correct? No. I, no, I, w I was signed as a free agent as, and, as a, and as a partial guarantee 
contract. My contract wasn't guaranteed until January one. Wow. Probably probably motivated you a little bit more, right? Well, it did, man, because you, you can get uh you can start to to become complacent uh when you start to get years in the NBA and you think that every, next year is another year and it's another year until that, that contract runs out and nobody's calling you. <laughs> and then it's like, oh shucks, you, you gotta you gotta continue to work at this. And so yeah, that that's why I said that time for me, I I don't have anything negative to say about Charlotte. Number one, I love the city. Still love the city to this day. Uh, and, and what Bernie and Bob Johnson and everyone in the front office, what they what they allowed me to do was have a chance. And with that chance, I was able to turn it into five more years of bas- five, six more years of basketball. And so uh, it, it was uh, I, I, it was a, it was a fun time. It was tough. But I, I loved helping guys that were younger, wanting to try to figure what it, figure it out in the league. And I tell people it was almost like college basketball at the NBA level. Just a bunch of guys running around every night <laughs> trying to win when we knew we didn't have anywhere near enough to win games. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Well, speaking of one of those younger players, uh, the rookie of the year, Emeka Okafor, uh, he won yes. over Ben Gordon. He won over Dwight Howard. Can you speak to Emeka Okafor as a player? Because a lot of what he did seemed very basic and unexciting to to most fans. Uh, it was because his game was more of a it was more robotic yeah. than a fluid game. And at that time, remember, he was athletic, physical, but he was raw in terms of his skills. And so a lot of his baskets were lobs up top, one or two dribbles. I just jump higher than you, little jump hook. 
Um, and so it was just a matter of having to hone those skills as his time went along. But in terms of a, a, a hard worker, someone that came in every day, did his job, took care of his body, he took care of his body to the point that it, it pissed all of us veterans off because we would have to wait too long after road games for him to do all of the stuff that he did post game. And so uh, I, I just, I think that uh, it was uh, a, uh, an acknowledgement of his, how good he was, but I also think it acknowledged how much we as a team, an 18 win team didn't have much. We still went out every night and we played hard and that put him in a position to be successful. And it put a lot of the, the rest of us in a position to have better careers down the road. Speaking of a player that played really hard, uh, you played about 150 games together with Gerald Wallace. Uh, his nickname yes. was Crash. He is probably one of the most adored players ever in Charlotte, whether that's a Hornet or a Bobcat. Did he compare to any of the other players you've ever played with in your career, just like his play style? No, Gerald was different because he, he and I had a similar defensive mentality. He just could do more things defensively because he was – bigger and much more athletic than I was. But then on the offensive end, he was another guy who you would say, what was his skill set? Skill set was pretty much he did everything, a little bit of everything. But he just played so hard that it made his, whatever skill he had, it made it go up another notch because he played so hard. And so I, it was it was fun to be with him because you think we had a country boy in Gerald. I'm a city kid from Jersey. Two guys that spoke different languages. But when we stepped on the floor or we came to the gym or even when we went out to dinner, we were both on the same page and, and how we saw life, how we saw basketball. And, and so there, I, I can't compare him to anyone else that ever played because to put his body through what he did on a nightly basis, to play through injuries the way that he did, um, and, and just his love of defense, the way that I love defense, um, it, was, it was fun and, and times that those three years I cherished all, all of those moments because you don't, you don't get those all the time. Yeah. And even with the injuries and everything like that, he still did not change his style whatsoever. And it was interesting to watch um, as a fan. Now in your second season, the team drafted Raymond Felton. And what's interesting about that year, you and him actually led the team in total minutes played. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys even played beside each other for significant. Yeah, We started together. Yeah. Yeah. And as a veteran, knowing that they drafted Raymond Felton, how do you balance like showing him the ropes while also trying to keep your job as a point guard? Well, it's like I always tell people, man, we, we pay it forward. That's just kind of what you do. When, when I came into the league, I tell people, Scotty Brooks uh, was my vet, was kind of like the vet point guard when I went into Cleveland. And he was a guy that he could have been uh, um, upset or could have wanted more playing time. Bob Sore was there just a couple of years, young guy who was playing point guard. They could have, both of those guys could have been selfish, and, but neither was. And, and so that was kind of how I learned what you do for younger guys. And so I, I can help you and show you things. If I'm not good enough to be out there, I'm not going to be out there. But in my mind, I know I'm good enough to be out there. So to help you is not hurting me. Right. It's only going to help our team get better. But also maybe I can help you as your career moves forward at that time, we are now talking about I'm year eight of my career. I understand where this is going. I'm not, I'm not dumb. You, you drive because there's a future with this. But again, I told you, I just love living in Charlotte. And I told Mike uh, and, and then pe- everybody in the front office was even when my contract got to the end, 
I was fine with coming off the bench because it would have been at that point would have been year nine, would have been year nine or 10 for me. And I would have just wanted to play the last couple of years, finish playing in Charlotte uh, and, and then live in Charlotte and then go from there. Now things didn't work out that way, but uh, I, 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 I didn't, I had no feeling other than you better work your behind off this summer to come back next season, ready to play to show the young fella. I'm going to help you get better, but I still hoop also while trying to help you. Yeah. So you, you and him obviously were, were very good with your distribution and, and setting your teammate for open looks and stuff like that. Some nights you'd have 14, 15, 16 assists. And it just, it's just kind of unheard of to see that these days. Now, you also cover a pretty good point guard in Memphis. What do you think is the number one quality for a point guard that they must have for the team to be successful? You got to respect your teammates. Uh, the, the game, listen, you're, if you weren't good, you wouldn't be at, that, at the level that you're at. But what you have to do is be able to get everyone to play hard every night, and they need to believe that everything you say and do is in the best interest of the team. And when you can do that at the professional level, it puts you in a position to be able to for your teams to have success in order to win. It, it's it, it is uh, it's a position I tell people you can't just put anybody in that position. That's Bronx. Sorry, my those are my two dogs. They don't they don't go anywhere that I don't go. <laughs> if I'm in the house, they're around. Uh, but but the it, it's a it's it's a position I tell people it's not just because you can dribble the ball and maybe I can make a pass, doesn't make you a point guard. Because you need to be able to think, am I making this pass to the right person? And that leads to the next pass. Do I get him in a position? Who gets the ball now? There are so many other thinking parts of the position that are more than just physical that I think leads to those guys being uh, the elite ones. And, and I say it because whenever you get to the playoffs, you always start hearing every announcer, every person on TV, Every analyst, they'll say, boy, if they had a point guard, it would help this team. But you'll never see a team go out and sign a point guard to that type of uh, – to think of, of that importance to a team if it's not just a big-name person. Yeah. So it, it, that I'll, that's why I always tell people, wait until you get to the playoffs and to winning time, how much they start talking about the importance of a point guard, not just a, a guy that dribbles the ball. Yeah, I mean they're they're very similar to a quarterback in football in terms of like the leadership yes. role that they have to take on. Um, before we shift over to what you're doing now in Memphis, and you might have spoken to this already, but when you look back on your three seasons with Charlotte, like what's the one thing that you might take away the most? Uh, it was it was my it was I'd say it's college and the NBA. Yeah, it was a bunch of guys that at the end of the day we had a chip on our shoulder and we wanted to prove that we belonged in the NBA and we had the best uh, head coach, the best leader uh, that you can ask for when you have young men in that situation in Bernie Vickerstaff. And so uh, it, it, it was a life changing moment for me to be in Charlotte, as I say, on and off the floor and uh, in, in three years that, uh, that I always point to people say, what are the best times in, in the league? Playing in Cleveland, when I was drafted. We had five rookies on the team at one time. You don't, you don't get a chance to enjoy life playing that way. And then my next one is when I went to Charlotte. Wow. Uh, and, and it'll always be that way. And you think about it, Charlotte wasn't about winning. It wasn't about winning games. It was about everything else that made me feel good about being a pro. 
And you were a pro until you were about 33 years old, um, and now you're a color commentator for the Grizzlies, and you've been doing that for some time now. Was that something that you always wanted to do, or did it like hit you late in your career? Like You realized, okay, I don't want to fully remove myself from the NBA scene. Maybe I want to try this out. Uh, yeah, I, I started doing with the uh, NB, NBPA, the Players Association. They have programs post post-playing programs that they offer every summer. And and I went through and did three or four of the different programs, just trying to see uh, what would be an interest of mine when I was done. And, and I did the broadcast program uh, and just absolutely fell in love with it. And, and then started to think more about doing it. And like you said, I wanted to still be close to the game, uh, but I knew that I didn't want to coach because I, I did not want to, have this run my life anymore as it had run my life for 30 years. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to enjoy my family. I wanted to enjoy seven months on five months off. What can I do? I couldn't be a teacher. I don't, I, you, you, for everyone that a teacher, I tell them that you guys are underpaid, underappreciated. I'm not going to let anyone say anything negative about one teacher because none of us are capable to do what y'all do on a regular basis and have as much influence on young people as you have. So I, so I said, I got to figure out the NBA <laughs> or, or something in this realm. And so uh, to, to still be able to talk the game, teach it, have fun, be around it. Uh, th- this, it, it fit because it allowed me to use my educational background, uh, and, but it also allowed me to use my basketball background and, and it brought, brought, it brings both of those worlds together. I got a question here. What arena outside of uh, the one in Memphis is your favorite to visit, whether it's like the amenities or just maybe the, the atmosphere? Uh, can you choose one? Oh, the garden. It's not, we don't even have to, we don't have to go any further. And that's, that's uh, being a Jersey kid. The garden to us is the Mecca of basketball. And it's still, when we go to call, so now I call games. We sit center court uh-huh. right across from the, from the, uh, scores table amongst all of the stars that come to the games. And so the atmosphere of just being the garden itself, uh, when with the lights going off on the crowd and the lights are just on, it's as if you're on a theater. This is you, this is this, you are the show. And then to have everyone around and see, it's just, uh, there's no atmosphere, yeah. uh, better than that and no seat better in any arena than that. Yeah, I guess I thought you would have gone a newer one, but I guess the atmosphere probably trumps all of that stuff. So, oh yeah, because here's the thing for me: I don't all of those amenities of a new arena. I don't get to; I, yeah. it's nothing to me. Yeah, I, I we drive in the back, come in, we come in through the the back door underneath, walk onto the floor. Uh, the good things what I for me at this point, do I have a good sight line to see yeah. the game? Of course, we're we're moving up a little bit higher. We're <laughs> eventually in every arena will be at the top of the lower bowl. As long as we stay center court somewhere around there, I'm yeah. happy. Hate Philadelphia, hate Washington because we're almost behind the baseline huh. up high to try to call games. And then other than that, then it's how their media is your media room. Good. Is your food good? I love going to Detroit. The best media room by hands down in the league is going to Detroit. Huh. Interesting insight there. <laughs> put, put your analyst hat on for a second, and I want to. Okay. I want you to make the case that the Grizzlies can make it to the Western Conference Finals. You know what? What all has to happen for that team to get there? 
Uh, first and foremost, health. That's uh, every every team needs that. But health of your your major players, uh, and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. being that. Listen, John Morant is one of the most electric players in the game and can get a basket, get where he wants to at any time. Eventually, that means that defenses shift to now you're playing against double and triple teams. You need your running mate. Jaron Jackson Jr. is his running mate. And so for him to be healthy all year, for him to have a great year again on the offensive and defensive end uh, is going to be good. But everybody that's in their second and third year are going to be good. Zaire Williams going to be good. Desmond Baines going to have to be good. Brandon Clark just signed a new deal. It's going to be good because they didn't make any moves in terms of bringing in anyone extra other than the rookies they drafted. They're going to, they're predicating their season on everyone getting better this year. But the other thing they'll lean on is the camaraderie of doing this now for three years, two, three, four years together. And so I think that's what gives them, a little bit of an edge to still be able to contend with the top teams, put themselves back in a position uh, to be at the top of the Western Conference and have a chance of winning uh, the Western Conference Finals. The other thing I give them is their their depth that they've able to, to use and put on the floor, as they showed last year, is going to be another key component as to, to why they can have success. Yeah, I was a big fan of uh, Desmond Bain out of college, and uh, he's done. He's actually exceeded my expectations. And uh, you're right; the internal development of those players uh, definitely needs to step up. And I have no doubt that that can actually happen over there in Memphis. But before we end this, I would like to end on five Bobcat trivia question. Are you Are you good with trivia? Let's do it. Okay. I am awful. I'm <laughs> awful with trivia, but I'm gonna give. I'm gonna do my best. Okay. I will say that these involve like the time that you were there, or it involves okay, the teammates. Good. It's, it's not like, you know, some obscure one. This first one might be the most. All right, question one. After a six-month process, the Bobcats were officially announced as the new name of the team in June of 2003. Which of these was not a finalist in the naming contest? So Bobcats obviously okay. won. Here yes. are your options. Dragons, Spirit, Flight. Uh, it, the Dragons one. Unfortunately, Brevin, uh, Dragons was in the running. It was between the Dragons, the Flight, and the Bobcats. Spirit was actually the one. Spirit wasn't. Yeah, that actually was going to be the name of the original franchise back in 1988 before they named it the Hornets. Hornets. And and that's why I stayed with Spirit. I stayed on the whole flying yeah. type, the yeah. flying thought process. But I guess Dragons, they say Dragons fly. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay, question two. This is this one uh, involves you. Twenty four times, a player in a Bobcats uniform has had fifteen or more assists in a single game. Of those twenty four games, how many times does your name appear? So fifteen or more assists in a single game. It has it's happened twenty four times. How many times does your name appear of those twenty four? And now, are are those twenty four all Bobcats? They're no, all Bobcats. No They're all Bobcats. Okay, it's all Bobcats. So all Bob. I would say that I got to maybe be ten of those. Wow, you're more than that. Eighteen of the twenty four. <sighs> wow. So I did. Hey, listen, I tell, know what my mantra was. I tell everybody, I feed my kids on assists. <laughs> <laughs> the other the, the other three players in Charlotte Bobcat history that recorded 15 or more assists uh, were Felton, Kimball Walker, and Jason Hart. And 
Jason Hart. That's my Jason Hart was that's who I came when I came to the Bobcat. That was Jason Hart was he was supposed to be the starter. He and Omar Cook from St. John's. And Bernie said, if you can beat these guys out, I'll give you a job. Did Omar Cook make the team? Why don't I recognize no. that? Okay. Okay. Didn't make the team. He came out. He was a, I think he came, he was one of the, he came out as a freshman from St. John's. Never really made it in the NBA. Gotcha. One of the young guys that probably needed more time uh, in, in, in college. Gotcha. Okay. We got three more questions here. Let, let's hope we can get right. one or two right. <laughs> oh, got it. Come on. All Come right. on, brother. Who scored the first ever point for the Charlotte Bobcats, which actually was assisted by you? First basket, uh, let's say Chuck did. The Mecca did. No, Primo. I forgot about my. It probably was on a pick and pop too, because <laughs> Primo did not roll to the basket at all. Oh man, I he was, right, he was zero he, for three. Zero for three. He was underrated. I thought. Oh, very sucks. Listen, but he and Jason Capono, uh, those, those were those are my big assists. And I always, uh, whenever I see Matt Carroll, I always say, just all I want you to say to me every time I see you is. Thank you, brother. That's all I want you to say. <laughs> Whenever you see me, just say thank you, brother. All right, question four. The Charlotte Bobcats won their first game uh, on November 6th to even the record to one and one. What team did you and the Bobcats win against? Two days before my birthday. Let's say that we beat the we beat the Nets. Oh, man. Magic. Magic. You, yeah, you're just you're just you got too many games under your belt to kind of remember these things. Well, here's well here's the thing, I got too many teams. <laughs> yeah, I got nine teams that I played for, and now I am now my thirteenth year in doing broadcast. Like it, this is this bleeds together, and I got three I got three kids, 24, 21, 18, and a wife. My 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 brain is fried on uh, those on no weapon at those in terms of being particular yeah what's funny I, one, you know, i'm going one, i'm ready though yeah it's, it's funny i was looking back on that orlando magic team and steve francis and, and katino mobley were teammates yes. on the team i i totally forgot that they were teammates in orlando i mean everyone knows them you know associated with the rockets but um, yeah but back in orlando all right last question uh let's try not to go oh for five <laughs> so we're speaking of the 2004 season, okay? Um, okay. Steve Nash had 246 yeah. assists to Amari Stoudemire. That led the league for that combo, Nash to Stoudemire. You were actually 12th in the NBA with the highest assist combo to one specific teammate with 125 assists. Who was that teammate that you assisted on 125 made baskets in 2004-2005? Well, I'm going to go back with Primo. He was second. He was second. It was a Mecca Okafor. See, I, I had them. See, I had this flip flop. I had them. I had them flip flops. Here you go. See, I, I, I would have thought that Chuck would have scored early because we would have threw it inside. Want to get an easy basket. Let's just get something going towards the rim. Give it to Chuck. Now, if you say, but what we ran so well and what got me so many assists was Primo said, great screens. I turned hard. It just pops back one step. Yeah. Make sure we got Capono or 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 Matt Carroll on that on that weak side, so they don't help. Throw it back to Primo, and he just used to lace it up. Yeah, he was second on the list here, just eleven assists behind Okafor. So one hundred twenty five assists to Okafor, one hundred fourteen assists to Primo. So, all right, Brevin, uh, this was fun. I enjoyed talking to you, and I, I really do appreciate the time. Thanks again.
No, thanks for having me. And then uh, I'll, I'll work on that trivia. I got to be better. <laughs> I, I was hoping I didn't make them too hard, but maybe I did. Maybe I did. They weren't too hard. I'll, they weren't too hard. I'm just that bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have a good one. All right, now. No, you too. Thanks. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.